0: God says the immoral pagan does know the truth, even without having the scripture in his hands. How do those pagans know God's law?
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today we continue Tom's series in Romans 1, titled, God's Wrath Revealed and Man's Shocking Response. Romans 1 is a profound passage that teaches that God's righteous wrath is being revealed or poured out against every immoral, unbelieving pagan This is true of all human history, including today, but it's crucial to understand that the immoral pagan who rejects God is without excuse. God's word makes it clear they know God and his law, even if they have never read the scripture. But how is this so? Well, it's because God has made himself known to them. Theologians call this concept general revelation. Friend... God has made himself known to you. How have you responded to him? Consider the issue carefully as Tom Pennington begins today's study right now here on The Word Unleashed.
0: Well, I invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 1 as we continue our journey through the first chapter of this letter of the Apostle Paul to the churches that were meeting in homes scattered all around that ancient city of Rome. Let me read for you the paragraph that we're studying together. It's Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. This is the word of God to us. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. This paragraph reminds us that we desperately need the gospel because there is such a thing as the anger of God against human sin. Really, the the basic theme of this paragraph is that God's wrath, his righteous wrath, is being revealed against every immoral pagan. Now, let me remind you of how this paragraph fits into the flow of Paul's argument. You remember back in Chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul introduces the theme of this letter. The theme is the gospel, the good news that's found in Jesus Christ, that God has made a way for man to be reconciled to him. And at the heart of that good news, in verse 17, is this gift of righteousness that God gives to those who believe so that they can have a right standing before him. The weight of verse 18 and following rests on properly understanding our need for the gospel. In other words, let me put it to you this way. The extent to which we will appreciate the good news in verses 16 and 17 is exactly equivalent to the extent to which we understand the bad news in verses 18 and following. In fact, let me put it this way. If you can shrug at the gospel... If, if the concept and the expression of the gospel sort of bores you, makes you yawn, I can promise you there's one explanation for it, and that's because you don't really understand. You don't really grasp the reality that as you sit here today, God, the creator of the universe, is growingly angry with you. His wrath will someday reach a boiling point and it will pour across your life like a flood destroying you. That is the message of the Scripture. And if you understand that, then the good news really is good news. And so before Paul explains justification by faith alone, in chapter 3, verse 21 and following... He first shows us the universal need that all men have for the gospel, for the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He does that beginning in chapter 1, verse 18, running all the way through chapter 3, verse 20. He sets out in this section to prove the universal need of man for the righteousness that's offered in the gospel. He presents overwhelming evidence to prove our guilt, to show us we have no hope. He begins by proving the need of what we could call the immoral pagan. This is the first category of mankind. Before he's done, he's going to deal with all of us. But the first kind of of human that he deals with is the immoral pagan. And this is chapter 1, verse 18, down through verse 32. This is the person who doesn't claim to worship the one true and living God. The key to understanding this section is in verse 23. The people he's addressing in this chapter are described as those who exchange the glory of the incorruptible God into an image. These are idol worshipers. These are not people who claim to worship the true God. Instead, they worship a God of their own making. The pagan's only hope is the righteousness that's presented in verse 17 that comes to us not by works but by faith alone. Why? Because God's wrath is being revealed against him and his sin and rebellion. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven Now, last time, we studied the idea of the wrath of God, a a concept that's not well understood in today's Christianity. This is the definition that we used. It comes from Alan Cairn's book, The Dictionary of Theological Terms. He defines God's wrath this way. It is the settled opposition of God's nature against evil. In other words, this is part of who God is. He can't help himself. He is repulsed by evil And he has to deal with it. Cairns goes on to say, it is his holy displeasure against sinners. You see, God isn't just displeased with sin. He's displeased with those who commit that sin. And he goes on to add, and it is the punishment he justly meets out to them on account of their sin. Now, if you ask, so what makes God angry? You answer that question simply by saying human sinfulness, evil, and that's true. But Paul is more specific than that, and we noted last time that there are three responses to God from us that make God angry. Let me just remind you of them. First of all, it makes God angry when we refuse to properly honor his person. Secondly, it makes God angry when we disobey His will and His commands. And thirdly, it makes God angry when we despise His love in the gospel. The first of those is made clear in verse 21 of chapter 1. Even though they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God, they didn't glorify Him as God, that is a failure to honor God's person. Verse 32, is disobeying his will and commands. They know the ordinance of God, and yet they do what they do anyway. And then in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Paul highlights despising his love in the gospel when he says, Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness intended to lead you to repentance to embrace the gospel? If you disregard the gospel, Paul says, you are storing up for yourselves. You're accumulating wrath in the day of wrath. It makes God angry when we despise his love in the gospel. Now, go back to verse 18. This is the wrath of God. And Paul says of that wrath, for the wrath of God literally is being revealed present tense. Now that's an unusual thing for Paul to say. He's talking here about a wrath that was being revealed in his day and is still being revealed today. As we will see when we get to verse 24 and following, Paul is not talking here in chapter 1 about eschatological wrath. That is the wrath of the last days, the tribulation, the the second coming, Eternal hell. He's not talking about that kind of wrath here, although he'll get to that in chapter 2. Here, he's talking about a wrath that's happening right now. It can best be called the wrath of abandonment. When God abandons a person or a culture or a civilization to their sins. Notice this wrath is revealed from heaven in other words it's from god himself it it is divine wrath it is wrath that originates from the majestic throne of the creator of the universe now that's how he introduces the section and we need to begin now in light of that to walk through the rest of the text of romans 1 and it falls into two basic parts having introduced the theme of god's wrath the first part of this section is, why is God's wrath revealed? You see this in verse 18 down to verse 23, the paragraph we just read. Why is God's wrath revealed? And then in verses 24 to 32, how is God's wrath revealed? Why is God's wrath revealed? He's going to answer that in verses 18 to 23. And then how is God's wrath revealed? He's going to answer that in verses 24 32. Now, first of all, Paul anticipates and answers the question why? Why is God's wrath revealed against immoral pagans? Now, last time, as I just reminded you, we saw that men make God angry for three reasons. In this paragraph, Paul deals with the first two of those reasons. In verses 18 to 23, he addresses The two reasons God is angry with every immoral pagan. First of all, his willful rebellion against God's law. And secondly, his willful ignorance of God's person. Notice, first of all, Paul's indictment of the immoral pagan's willful rebellion against God's law. Now, if you're thinking with me, when you hear that, you should immediately have a question. You should be saying, wait a minute, whoa, 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 what do you mean willful rebellion by a pagan? How can a pagan rebel against a law he doesn't know? After all, most pagans living on the planet today, most who have lived in human history, never had a Scripture they could hold in their hands. They never had God's Word. They didn't understand God's law. They have never read His truth. This is very important to understand. God says the immoral pagan does know the truth, even without having the Scripture in his hands. The pagan knows God's law. Look at verse 32. They know the ordinance of God. They know the requirements, the regulations, the rules of God. And they know that those who practice those things are worthy of death. So they know it's wrong and they know penalty's coming. They know judgment's coming. And yet, even though they know that, Notice they choose to rebel against it. Verse 32 goes on to say, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So that invites a really important question. How does a pagan living in some mountainous tribal area in Papua New Guinea, who has to have a missionary dropped in from a helicopter, how do those pagans know God's law? How does the law speak to the billions of people who have never read the Bible, both in human history past and even on the planet today? They've never heard it read. They've never heard it taught. How do they know? Paul masterfully answers that question in Romans chapter 2. Go to Romans chapter 2 verse 12. Here's how they know God's law. For all who have sinned without the law, that is, without the written law, will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the written law will be judged by that law. Here Paul breaks down all of humanity into two groups. There are those who don't have the written law of God, and there are those who do have the written law of God. For it is not the hearers of the law who will be just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Now watch verse 14. For when pagans, when Gentiles who do not have the written law do instinctively, literally by nature, the things of love, what the law requires, these not having the law are a law to themselves. In other words, when pagans understand that they should not lie to their friends, when they understand that they shouldn't commit adultery against their spouse... When they understand those basic requirements of God, they are showing, verse 15, the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts either accusing them or defending them. Now what's Paul saying here? He's saying that when those who have never seen the Bible they've never seen the law of god do the things that are written in the law and they acknowledge those things to be right and the opposite of that to be wrong notice verse 15 they show they they exhibit they give proof of the work of the law written in their hearts that expression the work of the law is found only here in the new testament it means the substance of the law The requirement of the law. We could say the essential demands of the law. And Paul says it has been written on their hearts, understood by God. They know because God wrote it on their hearts. It's written on the heart of every man. It is this universal awareness of the law of God that C.S. Lewis uses as the basis for his argument in his book, Mere Christianity. Every person is born with the substance or, or the, the basic requirements of the law indelibly imprinted on his heart. He can, he can mess it up, he can distort it because of his sinful heart, but there is the essence of what God requires written into the code of his being. And then he has a conscience, and his conscience uses that basic information of what God expects to either affirm him if he does what's right, and his conscience says, that was a good thing you did, or if he contradicts what he knows to be right, his conscience accuses him, that was wrong, you shouldn't have done that, and he feels guilt. His conscience makes it clear whether he's keeping or disobeying that law. Now here's Paul's point. Every human being knows God's law because God has written the essence of it into his DNA, into his heart. And every man who knows that rebels against it. Now, Paul gets very specific about the nature of our rebellion back in chapter 1, verse 18. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now, obviously, this indictment is in a section, as I already told you, that Paul is addressing the guilt of immoral pagans. But in reality, this is also an indictment of all men and all women. This verse is an indictment of those who are religious and those who are pagan, those who are moral in their lives and those who are immoral in their lives, those who are Jew and those who are Gentile. This verse describes all mankind's rebellion against our Creator. Now notice, Paul says our rebellion against God's law falls into two basic categories. First of all, there is ungodliness, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. This word is a vertical word. This describes man's relationship specifically to God. It describes a flawed and sinful response to the one true God. It's a state of settled opposition to God, a refusal to recognize his rightful claims. Now don't misunderstand, ungodly does not mean irreligious. In fact, you can be very religious and be ungodly. He's going to make that point in verse 23 and verse 25. These people worship, they're very religious, and yet they're also ungodly. You see, the word ungodly describes one who practices the opposite of what the fear of the true God demands. So he may be very religious, but he doesn't fear the true God and respond to the true God as he ought to. So let me kind of make this more applicable in our day. The terrorists connected to ISIS are religious, very religious in some cases, but they are by the definition of this word, ungodly. Hindu monks are religious but ungodly. Others involved in false religions are religious but ungodly. At the same time, the person who lives down the street from you, who denies that there is a God, who acts as though there is no God and lives that way, he is also ungodly. Now, when we parse ungodliness into its constituent parts, it consists of several things. First of all, it is a lack of the fear of God. Ungodliness is a lack of the fear of God. Look at verse 21. For even though they knew God, and we'll talk about how they knew and what they knew next week, Lord willing, they did not honor. Now, notice the word honor in your NAS has a marginal reference Literally glorify. The Greek word is the word glorify. They did not glorify Him as God. They didn't put Him in His right place. They didn't respond to Him with the respect, the honor, the fear that He deserves. Turn over to chapter 3. Paul comes back to this when he comes to the indictment of all humanity. Chapter 3, verse 11. There is none who understands... And then he says really something very surprising. There is none, not one, who seeks for God. Now, a lot of people think that those who are involved in false religion are seeking God. Folks, they are not seeking God. They are running away from the true God to a God of their own making so they can live the way they want to live. No man seeks by nature the true God. False religion is not a way to seek Him, it's a way to run from Him. Look at verse 18. Here's the real issue. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the heart of ungodliness. It's for there to be a God who gave you life, who sustains you, who gives you every good gift, who keeps your heart beating moment by moment, and for you not to fear Him, for you not to respect and honor Him, that is the essence of ungodliness. A second constituent part of ungodliness, not only a lack of fear of God, but a lack of love for God. You see... The most basic command God has for man is what? To love him. To love him because he's worthy of our love and because it's also for our good to love him. And so you come to Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 the shema the, the great commandment and what does Moses write you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might this is what God most expects of you demands of you
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part three of his series, God's Wrath Revealed and Man's Shocking Response. Tom will have part four for you on our next program. Join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD And remember to connect with us on social at the Unleashed. Visit us online for additional series that will help you further your study of God's Word. Visit us today at the wordunleashed